Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at BoyerMiller.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick. In this episode, you will meet Kamal Singh, CEO of Emerge. Kamal immigrated from India in 1999 and 10 years later bought his first restaurant. You will learn how he has grown Emerge into 150 stores in four states with over 6,000 employees by focusing on being an employee-driven company that provides inspiration and autonomy to its people. Cabal, I want to thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast. It's great having you. Thank you, Chris. I'm honored. Thank you for having me. So you're the CEO of Emerge, and I want to start by just having you tell our audience, what is Emerge known for? Yeah, so founded in 2009, we are in the quick service restaurant space. We own and operate close to 150 restaurants. We are in Texas, Arizona, and we just did another acquisition, and now we're also in New Mexico and Colorado. We operate brands such as Taco Bell, KFC, Pizza Hut, and Sony Drive-In. Well, what was your inspiration for getting into this kind of fast service restaurant? You know, it wasn't particularly getting into the restaurant space. I think it has a lot to do with my upbringing, just a typical immigrant story. We moved to U.S. in 1999 from India. I went to high school here. I went to Jersey Village High School, north side of town. I'm a Houstonian through and through. I went to University of Houston, 09, graduated with bachelor's in accounting. And pretty quickly, I found out that corporate, I just didn't want to do the corporate grind. I wanted, wanted freedom. I wanted to do something on my own. And it's, I just want to tell you a quick story. This is when I was working at Deloitte and Touche. I, was, I did audit work for them. And, uh, you know, one of my buddies, college buddies, he knew I wanted to go out and do my own business. And he shared an email with me. There was about seven Lenny sub shop that were going in bankruptcy. This is back in 08, 09 during the financial crisis. And he knew I was looking to do my own thing. And he forwarded me this email. And basically it was seven franchises that were up for sale here in the surround, in the Houston and the surrounding areas. And he said, Hey man, give him a call and see if you can pick up a franchise or two. And I made the call to the franchisor. And luckily they said, look, if you pay us the $25,000 franchise fee, you can have one, one restaurant. And this restaurant is off of 59 in Chimney Rock. So I had some college savings saved up through internship and throughout college. So I bought my first restaurant in 2009 with the savings that I had, $25,000. And I did well, you know, and you know, looking back at it now, it wasn't probably a good deal. You're talking about <laughs> the restaurant was losing six figures. I signed a personal guarantee. Yeah. As you know, you don't do that in our you, business. No. Lease liability on top of that, long-term lease liability. But sometimes when you don't know, you don't know, right? I was going to say, yeah, sometimes better, right? You know, yeah. you just need to work hard and you knew you had to make it work. Just, you know, I didn't have that checklist that we have now of due diligence, right? The checklist that we go through. So I jumped right in into that one restaurant. I made it work. You know, I remember the first couple of weeks, the, all I had was the 25000 I didn't have any working capital. 
remember, you know, you've got to pay the food vendors. You've got to pay the employees in the first couple of weeks is biweekly paycheck. In our business, the, two, the, the important costs are your food and your labor. Food is what it is. You can manage it here and there. Labor is where you can save on. I remember for months, I worked open to close just to try to save on labor. I would open the restaurant myself and I would bring people on for lunch because lunch was our busier day part because it's a sandwich sandwich business. And then I would close a restaurant myself just to save on labor. So that's kind of how I put the working capital together. And then, you know, about 18 months later, there was another franchisee in the same brand, Lenny's, that was, that was struggling. Got the opportunity to buy him out at a decent price. So until about 2009 to about 2015, I did a lot of smaller concepts. I did Auntie Anne's, Baskin Robbins, Cinnabon, Nestle, Toll House. And target is, you know, my, my target buy, sellers were franchisees that would just buy these businesses for their spouses or franchisees that weren't really involved in day-to-day operations. And then they weren't doing, they weren't really doing well. They didn't know what they got themselves into. I would get in, turn the business around. I would buy a cents on a dollar and then flip it for a higher multiple. That's how I sort of put my capital together to get into the bigger brands. But Chris, the goal always was to get into the top tier brands, which is Inspire Brands, Sonic, and the Yum Brands, KFC, Taco Bell, Pizza, because you can scale, right? It's right. a business. You can scale these businesses versus the smaller brands. You know, it's more about cash flow. You can only scale it to a certain level. It's harder to grow with those brands. It's hard to get them financed. Those brands are really hard to get financed, yeah. right? There's only SBA loans you can get on those brands. So in 2015, I finally got the opportunity to become a franchisee of KFC and Taco Bells in the Louisiana market. You know, again, that was a turning around story. Had to get into those restaurants, really work hard at them, create equity in that business. That was my first business that I did with the SBA loan as well. Okay. Didn't really have the capital to go out there and do non-traditional financing. So did well there, made my name in that and within Young Brands, turning that business around and then worked my way back here in Houston, bought another franchisee, another nine restaurants of KFC and Taco Bells. And that acquisition was special. Anytime you can own restaurants in your hometown, this just that's just special. You can go out and visit those. You can touch the restaurants. You can touch the assets. You can meet the teams. Right. You can right. inspire people. And then from there on out, I won't bore you with the entire story. We ended last year almost close to 150 restaurants, like I mentioned, four different states. And I think we'll probably hit a couple hundred restaurant count in at the end of 2023. And I'm real proud of our history, what we've accomplished in a short amount of time. And, you know, we've done it without outside capital. It's very hard to do this in span of seven to eight years without outside capital. I'm real excited about the teams that we've built, the camaraderie that we've got. I'm super excited about what the future holds for Emerge. That's great. <clears throat> Lots of things that you shared that I kind of love in that story. So one, you show up with your family from India in 1999, and 10 years later, you own your own deli. I mean, that's yeah. you couldn't have foretold that in 99, that in 10 years, you'd be there, all right? Yeah. That's pretty cool just in itself. And then second, I mean, I get this kind of twofold inspiration, this itch to want to be your own boss and have the flexibility and freedom to maybe own and grow your own thing. But you also mentioned you had that bigger goal of working your way up to get into the bigger brands. Yeah. I want to ask you, so you got stores through four different states. How many employees are we talking? We're talking about, you know, north of 6,000 now. 
Yeah. Wow. And then when we started the business, this is not the way the book was written. And I want to step back to something else I want to share. There was one particular restaurant. This is a KFC Taco Bell off of Beltway and West Road. When we moved to U.S., you know, we had one vehicle. Everybody worked odd jobs. And, you know, I have vivid memory of dropping my sister. Well, you know, my, my mom or my dad would drop her off and we would pick her up. And she worked at the KFC Taco Bell. Well, Chris, today I'm the franchisee of that restaurant. That's I own that restaurant, man. Yeah, that, that is was, that was probably one of my proudest moments when I got to buy that restaurant. You know, I took a picture in front of the restaurant and I sent it to my sister. And when I got to visit that restaurant the first time as an owner, I went back of the house and I usually would get along. You know, I speak to everyone. When I go back of the house of the restaurant, I spoke to the manager. I was talking to one of the cooks and the cook had been there. And this is, I bought the restaurant in 2017. And the time period that I'm talking about when my sister worked at that restaurant, this is 2001, 2002. And the cook had been there since that time. So that's amazing. And I asked her, I was like, well, do you remember? I don't know if she exactly remembered who she was, but yeah, that was probably one of my proudest moments that you know, we, I remember coming to this restaurant. I remember my sister used to get allowance of $5 at the end of the shift and she would, you know, she would bring food home with that $5 and we used to eat, I remember, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever meal that was. So yeah, it's just it's one of my proudest memories. That's a great story. So let's go back, you know, so there's got to be some lessons you learn. You spend your 25000 college savings and you start running a business. Looking back now, it's like, what would you tell someone that, you know, kind of takes that big leap of faith be ready for this, you know, the, what's the unknown or the unexpected? Or what was that kind of takeaway that you now carry with you and, and try to pass on? Yeah, I, look, I think, you know, when being an entrepreneur, you got to take the challenges, right? It doesn't come easy. You're going to make mistakes. You know, one of the things as I look back early in my career, I think I probably wasted about three to four years. I think as entrepreneurs, when you want to get in, you always want to shoot for the stars, right? You want to get there faster, but there's just no magic pill. You've got to put in your time. I'll give you a real life example. It took me, you know, about almost seven to eight years to get into the top tier brands. And I remember I used to go to a lot of the conferences. I wanted to get into these, I wanted to get into Pizza Hut, KFC, Taco Bell, and what I didn't understand was that there's a lot of competition around, right? It's hard to get into these brands. Do you need X net worth? You need X experience. Uh, why would somebody give, let me be part of these big brands when I've got one Lenny sub shop or two Antians? So I think it's something that I could share with an entrepreneur is get a seat on the table, right? Instead of trying to reach for the moon, get a seat on the table, prove yourself, and then work your way from there. Be persistent, be determined. And that's just something that I think I sort of wasted my time, you know, spending about three to four years of just chasing after these big brands when I could have just focused on the other things, but I finally got there Yeah, where I wanted to be. Kind of, I guess, prove yourself through your work Yeah, of, so that you, I guess you have that resume or that experience to, to show up and people will listen. Yeah. Focus uh, on the mission. Let's focus on the mission that you have in front of you versus because grass will always be greener on the other side, right? right? So let's focus on what you've got. Do it well, do it right, and do with integrity. And if you have the mission and the vision to be great, you'll get there. 
So there's, to me, there's a lot to, that we could go into. Something that I think is unique for an entrepreneur, maybe, in, in what you've built, but 6,000 employees. So there's a couple things there uh, that I want to talk to you about, and we can break those down. One, obviously, is culture, right? What have you done and what are you doing to build a culture and what is it? And I think part of that will be this other subject, and that is employee recruiting and retention. Yeah. I mean, because with that big of a workforce, you have to manage your uh, uh, turnover or it'll just kill you. You'd be interviewing and doing stuff all the time, right? And onboarding all the time. So however you want to take those, but I'd love to hear that employee retention, attraction, integration, and how that fits into the culture and how you built that culture. Yeah. Let's talk about culture, right? Look, you know, our restaurant, let's just be honest, it's not very sexy, right? It's when, you know, Majority of the population is enjoying their weekends. Our restaurant operators are working, right? So while some organizations can get away, they don't have to have strong culture. In our restaurant space, we have to have strong culture. And the way we do it is, you know, we really try to sit down and boil down to our jobs or our restaurant operators. It can't just be about, you know, turning the switch on, walking into the restaurant, turning on the fryers. Life has to be more than that. Well, let's talk about it, right? So... One of the things that we do really well is recognition. We inspire folks. Chris, I can't tell you how many times I've walked into restaurants and I've heard stories of, or I've seen stories of, you know, a journal man or a, a crew member that started off at seven twenty-five minimum wage, eight dollars minimum wage, and now has become journal manager, or they've become an area supervisor or a market coach making six six-figure salary without a college degree. Right. So what we talk about internally is let's leave a long-lasting legacy let's inspire people our lives just can't be about serving the next burger serving the next taco let's change lives i've heard stories about how somebody grew from a crew member to an area supervisor and now they're able to afford their first house right yeah that's there are stories you, like that man it's gonna make you just, feel great yeah and that's that we sort of try to cascade that, that, that down to our employees to our area coaches let's try, let's find those folks because in our business people come from all paths of lives right right people have broken homes right they've never been given an opportunity this is their first job you know you walk into our restaurant chris we've got posters where we show you how you can grow from a crew member making x amount all the way to somebody that could be leading an entire market making x amount right without yeah. a college degree and we spend a lot of money and resources training and developing our folks. So in talking about culture, if you look at the name Emerge, right? You know, if this and I won't take all the credit, my CEO and myself, we were thinking about, well, what do we want to name our company, right? Why Emerge? Yeah, at first we came up with Yum Companies because we were operating KFC and Taco Bell at that time. And we almost got sued by Yum Brands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? They probably had that trademarked and protected, right? Yeah, yeah. So we had to change that pretty quickly. And There's then, a lesson for people starting out. Make sure you're yeah. not using a name someone else's. Be more authentic. Don't <laughs> steal it. Yeah, we made that mistake. And, you know, the reason we came up with the name Emerge was, you know, somebody that comes into our restaurant and they want to emerge out of any part of their life, right? They can come in here. We'll give you the resources. We'll give you the tools. And we'll make sure you emerge out of whatever circumstances you have in life. We didn't want to create an organization that... You know, somebody's going out there and working for sing companies, right? You can come into right. this restaurant. We'll give you the tools. 
and the resources to grow and emerge out of where you're going through and we'll help you get there. And we try to really cascade that down to all the way to the store level. We do a ton of communication and I think that's worked out. In regards to retention, like retaining and hiring folks was harder in our restaurant space even pre-COVID. I think COVID just escalated it, right? I'm sure. Yeah, I think as a leader, if gone are the days where you just hired a bunch of folks and you just let them be and they ran the company, you really got to know your direct reports, what their want is. Yeah. You know, some of, one of the best practices that I do internally is I grab somebody from the office at least once a week. I take them out for lunch and, you know, we don't talk nothing about work, right? We all sit down and it's, I follow the 80, 20 rule, sometimes the 90, 10 rule. And I just listen and, you know, I talk about how they're doing, how's their family, what do they like to do their like to do in their off time. And I, I try to tang, I try to take that, what they, what their hobbies are and try to use that as a recognition, right? For example, if they like to go hunting, right? If they've done a great job, I will give them a gift card to something that relates to hunting or they like to go out and go to movies, give them a gift card. So they remember that. Right. The boss remembers. That you were actually listening. Yeah, I'm listening. to care. Yeah. And here's the thing. If you, if that person is important to you, if they bring value to you, you've got to take, you have to take importance in them. Yeah. The, I like what you said about, I guess in the back of the house, how you can, you have communications, posters, whatever, to show people what that path and what that opportunity looks like. And then you have to over communicate it because as a leader, you should want your people to feel like they have an opportunity to achieve their goals within your organization. Right. Yeah. You may not be able to always do that with everybody, but you should have some eye towards what that looks like and how you communicate that. And I think that helps with the retention side of things. Yeah. And the goal is here's, if we look at my last 10, 12 years, the best, folks on our teams are internal promotes, right? Our goal is if we have an A player walking into our restaurant, it, they shouldn't go to a competitor, right? And obviously it gets harder and harder, Chris, as we have grown sure. to communicate. But what we want to do is we want to make sure that we communicate as much as possible because we don't want to lose that A player to next next door competitor. We've got a ton of competition, right? Yeah. We want to hold on to that A player give them the tools and the resources and grow them. But first, we've got to lay out a path in front of them. So you know, we've talked a lot, I think, some of the things you're doing that apply you know, at the storefront. You couldn't have scaled the business like you've done without a really strong executive management team. Share with us a little bit about what you had to go through personally to let go yeah, uh, and trust yeah, yeah. some others because you're, I know you've got a good team around you or you wouldn't be where you are. So kind of yeah. what are some of those? That's a little bit of a different skill set and mindset than creating that environment at the storefront. Yeah. It's like, I think every entrepreneur that's built the business is their baby, right? It takes a little while to walk away from it. But I think this happened in 2016 when I got into the bigger brands and I've always had the itch to grow. It's always been what's next. We've got to continue to grow. And part of it is, you know, you're able to, we're able to bring on good talent because our bus is continually moving. Nobody wants to get on a stop bus, right? So this is in 2015, 2016, when I got into the bigger brands. I went in and fixed those restaurants in Louisiana, the first initial big brand purchase. And 
I figured out that if I want to get to the scale that we're operating today and we're going to continue to grow, I need somebody that can focus on more on the day-to-day ops, right? Because I'm more of a visionary, see things, I'm more on the deal side of the things. I've maintained relationships with the banks, with the lenders. So in 2016, I brought on my COO, who's been, he's made a huge impact. And that's probably something I tell the listeners, bring on people that are smarter than you. And what I say is, Steve Jobs said it right. You don't bring smart people and you don't tell them what to do, right? I'm a big believer in that. I brought on my COO, tons of experience where he came in and he focused on day-to-day ops. And I went on and built a lot of relationships with the lenders, with the brands, ran great restaurants. And so so along with that, another story is we had our first admin who is now HR director. That's just another great story. Somebody that we promoted within. I think part of our success, Chris, is my leadership team, we've stuck together since 2015, 2016. While we've had turnover in other areas, but the reason we've been able to grow 40, 50, 60, 70% every year is because we've got a strong leadership team. And I've surrounded myself, and I have no shame in saying it, people that run my ops, my HR, my finance, they're absolutely smarter than me. There's no doubt about it. I give them a ton of autonomy. They run the business. Obviously, we've got guardrails and accountability in place. Of course. But I don't get in their way, right? Then they understand that. And something else as I've evolved as a leader is I I try to listen more than talk, right? Yeah. Something I learned, I'm going to give a shout out to Robin. Uh, right. Chair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, Robin, Robin taught me early the on. The best this is chair there is. Yeah. Best, best. And she said, Kamal, the person in the room that asks the most questions has the most power in the room, right? So I always keep yeah. that rule in mind. Talk less, I listen more, and I give ton of autonomy to our people, and I get out of their way and let them make decisions. That autonomy is so important um, in building a good team because that inspires confidence in them, right? When they see you as the leader, the owner, the founder, trusting them. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, I interviewed a CEO recently, and his this term he used was, if you're doing it right, you're firing yourself, right? You find someone really good. You fire yourself in that position Correct. and you move on. Yeah. So what, uh, just thinking about running this organization that you've built now, what are some of the things that you and your team are doing that you think are innovative and in how you're running the day to day and going about expanding the Emerge footprint? Yeah. I think one of the other reasons that we've been successful is, you know, we are very systems and processes oriented, right? We are very maniacal about our routines, you know, for example, when we acquire restaurants, we've got this Bible down, what we do in first 30 days, first 60 days, one, what we do in the 90 days. I don't know if that book is given to us by the franchise or that's just something we've innovated in-house. Yeah. Something else we do well, because in our business, Chris, we don't, we're given the playbook by the franchise or so we don't really innovate a whole lot at the restaurant level, but we do innovate a whole lot on the growth level, how we've grown. Okay. Um, Something else we do really well is our reporting, right? A lot of the organizations don't want to share, don't want to be transparent on their financial statements. We share our profit and loss statements all the way to our general managers because we feel they're the real owners. At the scale that we operate, I can't drive food and labor. If I'm expecting that general manager that's within that four walls and he will be driving that prime, that food and labor, we he cannot be shooting blind. He needs to be 
given the income statement. He needs to be profit and loss statement to drive. So we worked really hard on reporting all the way to journal manager. We've got this book down on what we do when we buy restaurants 30, 60, 90 days because we're buying 40, 50, 60 restaurants every year. We're, we're bringing on people that have that that been part of part of an organization for a long time. Well, how do you integrate them, right? right. There, there's a whole process behind it. So I think we've done those things well. We've had very minimal turnover when we've done acquisitions because buying is just half the equation, Chris. Operating sure. it, transitioning is a whole different ballgame. I was going to say, if you don't, at the, especially, at, I think this applies for anyone, but at your level, if you don't integrate well, that transaction will fail. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Because absolutely. You're, buying, you're buying the store units and the people in it to be there and run it. And if you can't integrate well, and you've already said there's a lot of competition for talent, if you're going to have an empty Taco Bell, then that's not going to make it. And we haven't been successful every single one of them. I mean, we've learned lessons, but we've gotten better and better with every acquisition we've done. Yeah. That's good. You mentioned this just a minute ago. I want to dig in a little deeper. Talking about leadership style. Let's. How would you describe your leadership style today? How has it evolved yeah. since 2009? Yeah. I think initially, and I'll be transparent, I think I was a muscle manager, right? And I think you can be when you're operating a couple of restaurants or five or six restaurants. You can get results out of that. You know, pretty quickly you find out when you get to 20, 30, 40 restaurants, you're very dependent on your people. You are, you're, you need results through inspiration versus muscling them every day. You need to have strong routines in place. You need to have strong processes in place. So I've evolved as a leader now that where I, we get results more through inspiration versus muscle managing. Chris, one thing I really focus on is People that have been with us from very early on or people that have bought into Emerge, I take that responsibility personally, right? For me, it started off as I wanted to build something great, wanted to build wealth for my family. But I think over over time, that has changed. And the way it's changed is, you know, the way I look at it is we've got 6,000 employees that we lead every day, right? We've got leaders in place. Every decision that we make at the corporate office impacts everybody all the way down to the restaurant level. Yeah. So I take that sense of response, responsibility every day when I walk into the office, every decision making that I have. And it's, it is my obligation to continue to grow them. So I really hone into people that directly report to me and really hone into knowing what their want is, okay. not just financially, right? What are their, what are their goals personally for them? And something else that as a leader I've evolved is initially when I started the business or when we were acquiring, we would acquire anywhere and everywhere. It didn't matter, right? We were just, it did, yeah. It just You're just trying to get to a number. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that that strategy has changed and it has changed in a way. Part of it is because what we learned is when you acquire restaurants that are not in your DMA, it puts a lot of stress on your leaders, right? Sure. And I really truly care about our people's work-life balance right i want them end of the day enjoy their jobs give you an example you know we're here are we have heavy presence down here in south and the southwest you know if we were to acquire some restaurants up in northeast 
we, we chances are we'll probably pull somebody from our bench, from a leader from our bench, and we'll send them out to up north. I'm just giving an example. We're not going to be able to support them as well as we could if their restaurants were down south or closer to where we currently operate. Therefore, you know, we're pulling our one of our top leaders, throwing them out there. They're away from their families. So I think that I've evolved as a leader. I really, truly care about how what my people feel yeah. day in and day out. Do they have work-life balance? Are they enjoying their job? And I think if we do these things right, the rest will all pan out. Growth will get there. I started off, wanted to get to a 500 number, but I think that has changed. It doesn't have to be the number. It has to be the quality of restaurants, quality geography, and most importantly, we got to have fun doing it. We've got to build a culture where everybody is enjoying their job. That. I mean, it sounds like a perfect evolution because if you're focused just on a number and trying to get there, you're going to make some mistakes, likely big ones, because you maybe compromise some things that are otherwise important, which is what you're focused on now, which is the culture, the quality, and the soul of the organization, and then let it grow organically on its own or create those opportunities. Yep. What do you do to kind of keep yourself growing as a leader books mentors that you've had along the way i listen to your podcast <laughs> look at there free commercial yeah <laughs> don't forget to rate and review but we well we've been blessed to have a lot of good people on here and, yeah. and you included but you know most people i meet have had some really good mentors along the way that that they say i wouldn't be here without that guidance and it's not uncommon for it to be more than one person so any of those in your life yeah, Chris, I, look, I got into, I've, I, though I had internships, I worked at two out of the big four accounting firms, I jumped right into business, and I've been hard at work over the last 10 years. You know, I, in regards to, I listen to a ton of podcasts, I listen to TED Talks to continue to develop myself. I think the biggest impact has been Vistage. You're part of that, yeah. part of that group where I've learned a lot. I think Robin is probably one of my biggest, big mentors. But yeah, I mean, it's just having you guys around, being part of Vistage, we've built a great camaraderie over the last three, four years with you all. So just being around with you guys, learning from you all has just been my, how I've learned. I've just, I haven't really had someone that I can point out to just been a lot of self-learning, Yeah. but I've always made sure that I take time to develop myself and reach out to folks like Robin if I need advice, or I've got folks in this group that I've reached out to. I think, you know, that's good. It's having, creating, if you are finding some way, a peer group that you feel comfortable sharing and probably no different, you know, you always want to have people that you think are smarter than you that you can learn from, or at least been through something, they can share their experience and there's learning in that. Yep, absolutely. So, excuse me, I want to get back to, you mentioned, you know, the kind of COVID and there's been a lot of conversation now about hybrid work and work remote. And it, and it, it seems obvious to me that outside your corporate office, you have a company that did, doesn't have the ability to work. Yeah. Remote. We can't make tacos from home, man. That's right. We, we can't do that. So tell me, I mean, what was, what's the struggle been yeah. for you in that regard yeah. and at Emerge and you know, how have you tried to solve that? Yeah. I, look, I, I'll give my quick opinion on it. I am not a big <clears throat> believer in working from home. But as a leader, I understand that we have to evolve. So we made a change to policy. At certain level of leadership, we do allow work for home, minimal work from home. 
But at certain levels, we just can't, right? Sure. We've got restaurants that are operating in different states. Some of the restaurants are closing at midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Things are happening, right? And one of the things that I tell our restaurant support center is that we are here to help the field. We can't do that if we're working from home. Things are happening in our business. So, yeah, we've evolved as – I've evolved as a leader. It was, it was tough, right? I am at the office. I try to set an example myself. I'm in the field quite often. I'm traveling. I'm going to restaurants. I don't work from home at all the five or six days I'm working. So I try to set an example for my people. But we have changed the policy for certain positions where we don't have to, I would say, babysit that position. We right. let for those folks work from home. But uh, candidly, we have seen turnover because of, because we didn't allow certain people to work from home. And that I'm okay with that, but I think long-term, working from home, don't think it'll be around for too long. That's just my opinion. Sure. Well, you're starting to see a lot. Yeah, come written back, yeah. that it, 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 the pendulum is definitely starting to swing back. Yeah, um, look, I'm a great Elon Musk fan, and he said, look, we'll, you, you can work from home, we'll pay you 75% of the salary. Right. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. But. No, I, mean, I think he, he got lots of attention you know, for that. So yeah. this has been great, Kamal. I mean, I mean your story's nothing but inspiring. And I know lots that has been shared with our listeners. Let's go a little personal. I know your first job wasn't at Lenny Sub. Yeah, what yeah. was the first job you remember having? McDonald's, man. It was McDonald's. I worked at McDonald's. So you, you and the family have always been in the food business. Were your parents in it? No, no. It was just, that's the first job, right? I mean, just when you think about it as a, I was 15 years old, when you think about what, who would hire you, True. you know, there's a lot of companies True. that didn't hire me. Yeah. I applied Remember Circuit City back in the days? Sure. Remember, I, I, that, I wanted to work there. I wanted to work at Best Buy. Never got hired. So, you know, I worked at McDonald's for a little bit. And then I, from there on out, I worked, went to college and I worked at IT at University of Houston. Probably could have had a couple of computers here and two back in the days. So, okay. <laughs> but but not, nothing too crazy. Those are the jobs that I've had. And then right after college, I went straight into business. Got you. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you're, you're, you're not from Texas, but you got here as soon as you could. So do you prefer Tex-Mex or barbecue? Tex-Mex, man. Okay. Tex-Mex. No hesitation. I'm Texan, absolutely. I love it. Any good books you've read lately? No, man. I, You know, I'll tell you, I am more of a listener, podcast listener. I just, uh, yeah, I'm more of a listener. Okay. Than, Is it a particular than a podcast you like? Yeah, I listen business? to a bunch of TED Talks. I listen to a lot of the stock market news. Yeah. And then last question, one I hope to act on at some point in my life. If you could do a 30-day sabbatical, where would you go and what would you do? I don't think I have it in me to do sabbatical, man. I'm always on the go. <laughs> but if I was, if there was a gun to my head, you know. How about a week? Yeah. Probably do it for a week. Spain. Okay. Me and my wife, we've been there a couple times. We just enjoy it. It's laid back. Probably be Spain. So don't feel bad. You're not the first guest that said, I don't think I could go that long. Right? Yeah, I just, yeah. I'm around the business and I like being around the business. I'll take some short breaks, but not nothing that long. Yeah, I think uh, after about two to three days, anxiety starts to kick in. Yeah. I want to get back to work. So, yeah. Okay. Well, Kamal, this has been great having you on. I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your story with us. Thank you, Chris. I'm honored. Thank you for having me. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at BoyerMiller.com forward slash podcast. And you can find out more about all the ways our firm can help you at BoyerMiller.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.